they know me from. I'm like the OG of putting basketball videos on the internet. So even though I don't even play basketball anymore, I still have basketball players in my audience. Every business is unique, but the ups and downs we experience as we launch and run our businesses are pretty similar. We're Harmon Brothers, the team behind Pooping Unicorns and other weird but successful video ads you've probably seen. We help businesses grow through unforgettable video marketing, and we're no stranger to tricky situations. In fact, we embrace them. The goal of this podcast is to show how your crappy circumstances could be the golden opportunity that leads to your next success. You're listening to Poop to Gold. Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm Benton Crane, your co-host and the CEO of Harmon Brothers. On today's show, I have a very special guest with us. I am joined by Dre Baldwin. Welcome to the show, Dre. Thank you for having me, Benton. I'm excited to be here. Now, one of the reasons I'm excited about talking with Dre, Dre is a former professional basketball player. He spent nine years as a, as a professional athlete and he has since transitioned into being an author. He's the author of 27 books on all sorts of various topics, including mindsets for athletes, business, all sorts of other things. He's a very successful entrepreneur, and he has a YouTube silver play button. He has over 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. And so this is, is going to be a really fun and exciting conversation. Dre, you're the, you're the first professional basketball player that we've had on our podcast, so I'm excited. Welcome. I got it. Uh, thank you for having okay. me. I'm glad to be pioneer. <laughs> okay, so this is how, this how we'll, we'll do it today. So first, Dre, I want to kind of open it up for you to talk to our listeners a little bit about a little more of an in-depth overview of who you are, what you do. But then we're going to transition. We're going to go back in time and talk about your journey of how you got here and what your poop to gold journey was. You know, what, what were those obstacles that you had to overcome to get where you're at today? So let's, uh, let's start with the here and now, though. Give us a little more detailed introduction. Tell us about yourself. Great. Well, today I am CEO of Work On Your Game Incorporated. And at this company, what we do is we take the mental tools to get you to the top 1% in the sports world. And we translate those tools to how they are used in the business world and in everyday life. So we do that through books, as you mentioned, uh, online content, all platforms, all formats, coaching, speaking, courses, etc. So are the majority of your clients, are they athletes or are they entrepreneurs? A majority of our clients are business professionals and entrepreneurs. Of course, we still have athletes in our audience. I stopped playing professional basketball in 2015. But being that the YouTube videos that I was making for basketball players back in the day, way before it was cool to make YouTube videos, that was the foundation of me building my brand. So that's where a lot of people came to know me. So still to this day, I still get messages and requests from basketball players all the time because they know me from, I'm like the OG of putting basketball videos on the internet. So even though I don't even play basketball anymore, I still have basketball players in my audience. Uh-huh. Do you get a lot of, uh, a lot of students and, and clients who follow a similar journey to you where they go from being an athlete to becoming an entrepreneur? There are a lot of athletes who want to become entrepreneurs, I think is what happens, Benson. It, but one thing that a lot of athletes don't understand is that being an entrepreneur is a lot more work than being an athlete. And sometimes athletes get annoyed when I say that, but it's true because I was an athlete, so I'm qualified to speak on it. Uh, being an athlete is not easy. 
and you're competing against a lot of people because it's like hitting hitting the lottery to become a professional athlete, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is, when you're an athlete, your only job is to go to the gym or the field or the, the track or the pool and do your athletic thing. Not to say that that's easy in itself, but the, all the infrastructure is created for you. You know, when LeBron James plays in a game, he doesn't sell any tickets. Uh, he doesn't organize the concession workers. He doesn't clean the parking lots. He doesn't make sure the lights are working. He doesn't hire the announcers. He doesn't make sure the refs got paid. He doesn't wash the uniforms. All he does is shows up and play basketball. Whereas when you're an entrepreneur, let's say the owner of the Lakers is responsible for all of that stuff and they had to pay the players and if the team is terrible, they still have to pay those guys. So there's a lot more infrastructure when you're an entrepreneur, you're responsible for all of that. Whereas as an athlete, you're not responsible for any of it. All you do is show up and play the infrastructures in place for you. So that fact alone makes being an entrepreneur a lot more work and a lot more responsibility than being an athlete. So what happens, Benson, is a lot of athletes do not realize that when they step out of the sports world and into the business world, they are a rookie all over again and they are responsible mm -hmm. for a lot more stuff. And a lot of them don't really want to go along for that ride. That's usually what happens. Not to say all of them, because I'm an exception as well, but a lot of them, when they realize how much work it really is, they might change their mind about being an entrepreneur. Is it difficult to go from being a specialist like as an athlete, you specialize in one very specific thing and you work and you hone in that one area just all the time, nonstop, versus when you transition into becoming an entrepreneur, you have to become a generalist who, you know, you've got to be proficient in all of these different areas like you're talking about. Is that a hard mind shift or mindset shift to make? I think for... The athlete that most of the people who are listening to this show, if you when you think athlete, you're thinking the guys you see on TV. I think for that athlete, typically the answer would be yes, because all they had to do was specialize in that one thing and they can make a good amount of money. Now, for me, I came from uh, we didn't this wasn't mentioned in my bio, but I came from a division three college was the third tier of college sports. Most D3 athletes don't become pro athletes. Now, I didn't even make my high school team until I was a senior. So it wasn't even in the cars that I was even going to become a, become a professional athlete. So even as I was getting into pro sports and hustling my way into the game and you know, playing professionally overseas, I always in the back of my mind knew like this ride could end at any moment. No, I might not get my, I'm in a contract right now, but I might not get into contract next season or the, and there mm -hmm. were times Benson, when uh, the season began and I was a free agent, i.e. an unemployed professional basketball player. So those were the times where I had to take a hard look at myself and say, okay, well, what if no team in the world decides that Dre Baldwin is worthy of another contract? What are you going to do? And that's when I started asking myself, okay, how can I take these things that I, this thing that I love, which is basketball, something I'm really good at, which was the internet slash computers, and how can I make mm -hmm. money from it? How can I find an intersection of those three? So I asked myself that question, Benson, in the first half of my pro career. And that's when I started really focusing on putting videos on the internet and building what became my personal brand on social media. And I'm using air quotes for people not watching the video. These weren't phrases in 2007, yep. 2008. So I started focusing on these things because I could see that my career might not keep going in basketball. It did keep going until 2015 but it wasn't guaranteed to keep going. So I had to focus on that. So I was kind of building two careers at the exact same time. So to answer your question for the average athlete that most people see on TV, yes, it would be difficult for them. But for somebody like me, it was kind of like the, the curse was the gift that things weren't uh -huh. so smooth. 
that was the gift that caused me, forced me to focus on entrepreneurship way before the average athlete does. They usually don't do it. So their career is over. Well, my career was kind of in the middle. It might have been over right then. So I had to focus at that moment. I see. So instead of having this moment where it's like, ah, crap, I didn't get a contract. Now what? You were building all along the way. Right. And, and you were essentially exactly. multitasking as you went along. So I think that's actually a really good jumping off point. So I, I, want, to, I want you to take us on your journey of how you got to this point. And as you take us through that journey, what we really want to uncover is that dark moment where, where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this and kind of the feelings and emotions that, that you're facing in that moment to take us there so that we can, we can kind of understand your poop moment. Am I only allowed to pick one? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's more than one. So I'll start with quickly, uh, in high school, like I said, I didn't make my high school team, so I was a senior. Only one year of high school basketball. Now, the players who go on to even play in college are usually stars in high school. So my one year in high school, I sat the bench even that one year I was on the team. So to go to play college basketball, I knew I was going to college as a student. But as far as sports go, I had to walk on. And for those who don't know what that means, it means no scholarship. The coaches didn't know me. I literally just walked into the gym and started playing and you know, tried to impress somebody. So I made the team in college again at the Division Three level. Finished college. Now, again, Division Three athletes, even if you're a superstar at the D3 level, professional teams are looking at your pedigree. Like, okay, maybe you did score a lot of points, but who are you scoring those points against? You're playing against guys who aren't pro-caliber players. So it doesn't really matter what you do at the D3 level at most schools. And at my school, had never produced a pro basketball player. So it didn't matter what anybody did there. And my stats weren't that great, even on top of that. So for me to get into pro basketball, actually, before I let me answer your question, when I came home from college, my parents said to me, okay, son, you got your college degree. Congratulations. I got a degree in business from Penn State. And they said, well, and I went to Penn State Altoona, by the way, for anyone confused, like, how is that D3, different campuses. And they said, well, what are you going to do now, now that you have your degree? And I said, I'm going to become a professional basketball player. And this is kind of, it's kind of ridiculous, right? Even from this little bit of story that I told you, you, now these are my parents. So they know this whole story. They saw everything. You <laughs> only played one year of high school, did nothing. You went to a D3 college. You didn't set the world on fire there. And now you're going to become a professional athlete. And they don't know, my parents are not, no, they don't know the insides of the sports industry like that, but anybody can Google D3 athletes and do they become pros? No, they don't. So when I said that, it sounded as ridiculous as it sounds right now. And my parents, you know, my mom mostly just said, listen, um, you need to go and get your life together and be an adult. Like, get yourself a car, you know, get yourself an apartment so you can move out of this house. You know, I had braids in my hair back then. And she said, you need to get a haircut. You know, you need to you know, straighten up and you know, do some adult things. You want to be a you're chasing this pipe dream of being a pro athlete. It didn't add up. Because she did ask me some logical questions that anybody would ask for any career. Hey, do you have a a job. Do you have any job prospects? Do you have a plan? Do you have any kind of strategy? Do you have any offers? And the answers were no, 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 and no. So it didn't make any sense for me to become a pro athlete. So your parents are looking at you like, man, kid, you're a dreamer. Yeah, exactly. I was a dreamer. I absolutely was. And I wasn't mad at them for what they said because everything they said was logical, reasonable, and accurate. So I wasn't mad at my parents for pointing it out. They were basically holding a mirror up to me. So what I was, the poop was, that was the reality. That was the truth. So I was, I did engage my competitiveness and my anger, but I wasn't angry at people. I was angry at the situation. I was angry at the reality, mm-hmm. Vincent. So that's what I decided to fight against. And honestly, that was 15 years ago, 16 years ago. 
I still feel like I can still feel that when I really think about it, I can still feel that person that I was back in 2004, 2005. And that fight is what always inspired me fighting against that reality. And that's when, you know, I worked a regular job for a year and then basketball started. Now, tell me about the mindset as you're going through that. So, you know, your parents don't believe in your dream. You know, I don't know about, you You know, your friends and coaches and stuff like that. I don't know who believes in your dream, but what is your personal mindset? Like, do you believe as this is as, as this is going on? Yes, I did. I believe that I was going to make it happen, even though, Benson, I had no idea the who, what, when, where, why or how. Well, I know who was me, but everything else, I had no idea. And the thing about the pro basketball world, it's a especially overseas is a very shadowy industry. You there is no no basic website that says, all right, here's the steps you need to take one, two, three, four, five. It's kind of like if you want to be a, a model, you can apply for America's next top model. If you want to be a singer, you can go on a American Idol or America's Got Talent. They tell you exactly what you need to do, where to show up, when to show up, what to do. With basketball, that doesn't exist. And even to this day, it's 2021, it doesn't exist. Imagine what it was like in 2004. There was no information. So all I knew was one thing was that they had these things called exposure camps, which are just job fairs for athletes. I couldn't even afford to go to one my first year out of college. So I worked at Foot Locker. I worked at a gym, selling gym memberships. And my mentality the entire time was just play the long game. Just get a gym membership of your own. No, continue to work on my basketball skills, save up your money. And when it's time for that exposure camp next year, have your money ready, go to that exposure camp. And you basically get a chance to show your stuff. It's like a casting call. You get a chance to show your stuff and that's going to be your shot at making it pro. So I basically bet everything on that one shot. That was my mentality that entire year. I didn't you know, brag about it. I didn't boast about it. I didn't make too much noise about it. I just knew what I wanted to do. But I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, you're living in your parents' house with a college degree, working a footlocker. What are you going to tell anybody? You know, I had to prove it. <laughs> that was my mentality. I, I need to go prove something. Nobody wants to hear anything from me at this point. I need to go prove it. So when I proved it, that's when people want to know the story. So how so how the exposure camp go over? Yeah. So exposure camps usually go about two or three days. So this is not like a month to prove yourself. You get two to three days and you're only playing with other players who want to do the same thing that you want to do. Now, the, the paradox of this, if you really think about it, basketball is a team sport, right? Five on five. But everybody on your team is trying to look like a superstar, just like you are, because we're all trying to impress the decision makers in the audience. So it's really funny because if you watch a good basketball team play on TV, there are role players and a role player knows that they're not the star. They know that they don't need to make themselves try to look good because they're already getting the paid to help the superstar look good. But at an exposure mm -hmm. camp, everybody's trying to be Michael Jordan. Everybody's trying to be Kobe. So it's really a fine line that you have to walk because you don't want to look like you're being selfish, but you have to be selfish. So that's that's the, the challenge of it. But I played pretty well there. I had a couple highlight dunks because my thing was athleticism at that time. So I had a couple highlight dunks. Uh, the scouts noticed me. I got a really good scouting report. I got the footage from that exposure camp, which is on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those, Vincent? <laughs> VHS tapes. <laughs> Yeah. So that is what I got from that two day exposure camp. It was in Orlando. I'm from Philadelphia, drove to Orlando, drove back to Philly, had to be at work Monday morning. And I took that VHS tape and I started making copies. I had a double decker VCR and I made copies of that VHS tape and I start sending it out to basketball agents because agents are just like in the literary world or the modeling world. An agent is the go between between the job and the talent. Right. 
So I was the talent, but I didn't have the job. So I needed to find an agent. I sent that tape out to a bunch of agents, about 60 agents. I emailed 20 of them said, send me your tape. And mind you, this is before YouTube. So I'm sending physical copies of this tape out, Mm -hmm. mailed the tape out to about 20 agents. One agent called me back. That one agent said, all right, I'll represent you. And mind you, usually if you're a really good athlete coming out of college, the agents are calling you and saying, we want to represent you. You get to pick your agent. I was Mm -hmm. so unknown. I had to call them. I had to sell myself to the agent. So I got an agent finally, and he represented me and he's the one who helped me get my career started. And my first job was in Kaunas, Lithuania in 2005. So that's what happened from the exposure camp. Exposure camp was in June. I signed my first contract at the end of August of 2005. Man, that's a, that's a serious grind, you know, to, to go from, you know, nobody believes in you to keeping that belief and then keeping after the dream and, and actually getting a contract over in, over in Lithuania. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like being over there in a foreign country, foreign language. Now, now you're playing basketball. Tell us a little bit about what that experience is like. It's surreal. When I first got over there that first weekend, it was really surreal. Luckily for me, there were a couple other Americans in town because that town had more than one pro team. And my team had actually a couple of Americans and then a, we had a couple, one African guy who spoke perfect English. So I was hanging with like three other Americans, but I'm the only rookie. I'm the only guy who's, this is my first time being overseas. And it was really surreal. I had barely been out of the state of Pennsylvania to that point. So <laughs> there are so many times I had to just remind myself, like I'm in damn Europe for my ability to play basketball. I have euros in my pocket. I'm paying for stuff with euros and you have these, these European people walking around and over there in Europe, one, the first thing that I noticed, honestly, I tell people this all the time is that there are no obese people in, in Lithuania. All the women were blonde and slim. All of them. And that was the first thing. The main thing that I remember from being there and the young people all spoke English, younger, younger, like 20 ish people Uh spoke English. And now that generation probably has grown up. So it wasn't that hard to get around. But in the restaurants, I always ordered the same thing because I didn't know what anything else was on the menu. So it was kind of spaghetti with bread and a glass of water. So I got used to that. But other than that, it was just a surreal experience. And I I could never complain about it because I'm thinking to myself, what is everybody who's looking at me on Facebook? What are they doing compared to what I'm doing? You know, so I always had to remind myself of that throughout my career. So your career went for nine years. Give give us kind of the overview. Do you feel like were were you happy with the way your career played out? Were you happy with the way that you played? Do you feel like you kind of accomplished the dream that you were going for? Absolutely. Because coming from where I came from, my school had never produced a professional basketball player, period. And after I finished, me and one of my teammates, he also went pro, but nobody's gone pro since. And it's been more than 15 years. So we definitely set a new standard for coming out of our school, Mm -hmm. but obviously nobody lived up to it since. Hopefully we can change that in the future. But as far as the basketball goes, Absolutely. Because my career wasn't supposed to happen. Just given a little bit of my background that I've told everyone here, it wasn't supposed to occur. So the fact that I was able to make it happen and then able to repeat my success, let me get, let me see if I can get another contract. Let me get another one, another one. And at the same time, Benson, the ironic thing of all of it is most people who know me do not know me from playing basketball overseas. I mean, who listening to this has ever watched an overseas basketball game? Maybe one person, (laughs) but who here has watched a YouTube video? Not everybody, 
right? So right. when people, when I'm walking around, I'm going to walk around Miami this after, this evening. If somebody knows me, they don't know me because I played overseas. They know me because they saw me on YouTube. They know me because they saw me on the Harmon Brothers show. They know me because they saw me on this person's show, that person's show, or they, you know, they read one of my books or something like that. So the irony of the whole thing is I did all this work to become a pro basketball player, but everybody knows me from YouTube videos, which I could have did from the comfort of my living room. So it's just funny that it, life works out that way sometimes. But I am definitely proud of what I did on the basketball court because how many people get a chance to do that? It's a fewer than 1% of athletes ever get a chance to become pro. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's amazing. Hats off to you. Okay, so we're going to transition, talk, talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial career. But first, I want to ask a, a, a tangent question. As a casual NBA fan, as a basketball novice, I guess, it seems from the outside looking in that Europe produces really amazing shooters. How was the game different over there, and, and why, why are Europeans such good shooters? No, it's funny that you asked that question. So I'll explain to you why it appears that way. I don't think it's technically that way, but it appears that way. And the reason is this. It's because in like, the players who play professional basketball overseas are talented. Uh, overseas basketball is not like, you know, the L.A. fitness or something like that. I don't think you think that, but a lot of players who reach out to me say things like, well, Dre, I just finished high school. I don't want to play in college. How can I go overseas? And I'm like, listen, unless you're LeBron, you can't skip college. You need to go to college and get better. The thing is, in overseas basketball, compared to the NBA, the difference between the players over there and the players over here is that the big guys are bigger and more athletic, and the players in general are just longer and faster and they're quicker. So what does that have to do with shooting? On When you have the ball in overseas basketball to shoot an open jump shot, you have a little bit more time to get that shot off against a, a defender overseas than you do against a defender in the NBA. Because defender overseas might be 6'6 and you no know, has mm-hmm. a 6'8 wingspan, whereas a defender in the NBA will be 6'8 with a 7-foot wingspan. You understand? Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit harder yep. to get that shot off in the NBA than it is in overseas. You have a little bit less time to get your shot off in the NBA because the players that you're playing against are all bigger, stronger, and faster. So it appears that the Europeans are better shooters. That's not even necessarily the thing. A lot of people think that, not just you, Benson, but it's just that the athletes are more athletic over here, so it's harder to shoot over here. That's why it just looks that way. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's talk about entrepreneurship a little bit. So long before your career came to an end, you started preparing, started doing YouTube videos, started learning about entrepreneurship. But at some point, the career ends and it's time to move on and take it full time and go full time focused on on entrepreneurship. How did you make that transition? Wow. Well, I started selling, creating some of my own products around 2008, 2009, and I didn't stop playing ball until 2015. So during that period from about 2008 through 2014, 15, I was kind of double dipping. I was playing basketball, but at the same time mm-hmm. I was on the internet. And that's where, I, that's when I realized when I first started selling my own products, the first product I sold was a basketball training program for like, here's how you get better at dribbling. It was $4 and 99 cents. And when I sold that first product, I remember I used to, you, did you ever had a Blackberry phone? Remember the Blackberries? I remember them. I never had one, but I remember them. Okay. So I had the Blackberry and when you got an email, a little red light would blink. And I remember the first day I put that program out and I saw the email that I sold the product 
And it, I was so behind the times, or at least even then, I didn't even have auto delivery, Benson. So I had to open up my laptop and I had to send an email to the buyer, copy and paste their email address, send them an email and add the program as an attachment. So I didn't even know there was a such thing as auto delivery, but I fixed that within about a week <laughs> after several orders. But when I made that first sale, I said to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. I know I can't play basketball forever. Like, even if you're... No, Kobe Bryant, you can't play ball forever. Eventually that ball stops bouncing. So who are you after that? And I've always been a person. I never wanted to be a, a used to be person. I never want to be somebody. Well, yeah, he used to be somebody at that, but now he's, he's doing nothing. So I always want to have something going on. So I, once I sold that first product, I said, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to be doing. This is my retirement plan. Even though I was in the middle of my, I wasn't even 30 years old yet. So then I wrote my first book around 2010 uh, created, start creating courses, maybe around 2014, 2015. But I would just pay attention to what was going on in the internet. I saw what other people were doing. And when I would learn about things, I would say, oh, let me try that. All right. People make courses. Let me try that. There's, you can you know, you can make products. You can use Shopify. Let me try that. Sales funnels. Let me try that. So when I saw things, I would just try it out. And I was just using myself as a kind of like a guinea pig just to see what works. Mm -hmm. I found I got smarter in the later years and really started reading and stopped you know, spending so much time in trial and error and try to learn from people who already knew what they were doing. So I got smarter and hopefully I'm continuing to get wiser. Yeah, you were you were so far ahead of the curve on that. I, it reminds me the NFL quarterback, Steve Young. I remember a couple years after he retired, he became a you know, he became a commentator and one of the other commentators asked him how retirement was going. And I remember he said something to the effect of, you know, it's tough because you find out you suck at everything else. <laughs> and, and, and so like for you to have the wisdom to know like, hey, I can't just wait and then find out that I suck at everything else. I've got to start going through that trial and error and work to, to learn so that I don't suck at all these other things. So. That's awesome. Hats off to you. All right. So talk to us about, about how our listeners can stay in touch with you. Oh, sure. Well, I'm on every platform online. I'm on everything except TikTok. So don't, you won't find me on TikTok unless it's somebody downloaded one of my videos and used it, which probably has happened. But other than that, I'm on every other platform. Um, I'm active on Clubhouse even now. I do have a book that people can get for free if they just uh, help us out by covering and shipping. Can I share that? Yep, sure. So this book here is The Mirror of Motivation. The subtitle is The Self-Guide to Self-Discipline. I tell everybody to start with this book of mine because discipline is the first of the First pillar of the work when you gain philosophy, followed by confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. The reason I tell people to get this book is not because anybody wakes up in the morning saying, hey, Dre, I need more discipline. Where can I find it? Nobody's looking for discipline. But everybody has goals if you're listening to this, and people understand you have to do something to get something. You can't get something for nothing. But many people never ask themselves the question, who do I need to be? Most people ask themselves, what do I need to do? So they can take the action, do the hard work, get the goal. But who do I need to be is the more important question, because when you get your being in the right space, the doing, the actions automatically flow from who you are being as a person. And then the results come. This book will provide the frameworks for you to ask the question yourself. Who do you need to be? It is not me telling you who to be, because that would be ridiculous. It is you telling yourself who you need to be. And that's why the book is called The Mirror of Motivation. So this book will hold the mirror up to you who you need to be, then you do what you need to do, have what you want to have. You can get the book for free. Just cover the shipping at mirrorofmotivation.com. Without the word, the mirrorofmotivation.com.
Awesome. You heard it, you heard it here, mirrorofmotivation.com. Thanks for coming on the show, Dre. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. Thanks for sharing your story, your passion, and your talents with our listeners. Well, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for allowing me to share. And for our listeners, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. At Harmon Brothers, we're known for what we call our hero campaigns. These are big nationwide campaigns for brands like Squatty Potty, Poopery, Purple Mattresses, Lumi Deodorant, and many others. What makes these campaigns special is that they've helped scale those businesses by tens of millions of dollars each. Now, companies reach out to us on a regular basis wanting a hero campaign. They want that type of growth, they want that type of branding, and they want that type of awareness. But the simple reality is, most businesses and entrepreneurs aren't yet quite ready for that level of growth. So we've built what we call a hero incubator that is designed to help entrepreneurs and companies prepare for a hero campaign and to be ready for the type of growth that they're looking for. The Hero Incubator starts with a marketing audit. We offer these marketing audits for free and you can apply for one at harmanbrothers.com forward slash audit.